Welcome to the Sanctum. Here we study the mysteries of Dungeon Crawl Classics and Appendix N. With your keepers of mysteries, Jen Brinkman, Mark Bruner, Bob Brinkman. Enter the Sanctum Socorro and be inspired. Welcome to the Sanctum Socorum podcast, where we plumb the depths of Appendix N as it pertains to the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game. We're back, and we are here to help you serve these literary offerings at your DCC RPG table. I'm Keeper Mark, and with me tonight, as always, are Keeper Jen. Good evening. And Keeper Bob. Hey, everybody. And tonight, we celebrate the Halloween season with something that is Lovecraft-adjacent. While August Derelith is known for rescuing the works of H.P. Lovecraft from obscurity through the founding of Arkham House, he, is all, he also wrote his own stories tying into Lovecraft's works. Some were original works by Derelith, and others were posthumous collection, collaborations with Lovecraft, which were also original works by Derelith, essentially with Lovecraft's name slapped on them. This is one of the former, not too unlike the latter. Tonight... We travel the trail of Cthulhu. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Bob, do you want to give us a synopsis? I can, I can give kind of a brief synopsis for this one. Uh, the, the Trail of Cthulhu is a series of interconnected short stories which chronicle the struggles of Laban Shrewsbury and his companions against the Great Old Ones, particularly Cthulhu. Uh, there are The stories are The House on Kerwin Street, the Watcher from the Sky, uh, The Gorge Beyond Salapunko, The Keeper of the Key, and The Black Island. And they all sort of blend together <laughs> after a while into one long one long book that yeah. I really remembered enjoying a lot more uh, than I did this time around. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, really, it is, you could also call it The Shadow Over Innsmouth Part 2 bonus style, right? Mm. It's, yeah, that's, that is, that is what we read tonight. <laughs> August Derleth is actually on Appendix N. I just looked yes. it up. Um, oh, I didn't think to look that up, yeah. I didn't know if that was for his works as an editor or for things like this. Um, although, to be fair, I believe Andrew Offit is noted as editor of Swords Against Darkness. So this just kind of puts August Derleth in the same bucket as Lovecraft. Well, I think that might be um, grandiose. <laughs> well, Derleth was an accomplished author in, in his own right. I mean, he started writing fiction when he was 13, and uh, he sold his first uh, piece of fiction 
to Weird Tales in 1926. So he was 17 years old at the time when he sold his first piece. He was a one of Lovecraft's inner circle. They they corresponded. There were references to Durlith in a couple of, of Lovecraft stories, and so he he really was. He was more than what we just read. <laughs> he was he was more than what we just read. Um, have, you, have you read any of his other Lovecraft works or any of his other works at all? I, this is the first time I think I've read Derelict that I know of. Now, you know that's one of the things. That yes, I so ones together. Um, I'm trying to I'm trying to to remember the the names of the other thing. I mean, there's uh, he's got another collection which is Mask of Cthulhu, and then he has I'm trying to think if it's Lurker at the Threshold. Um, he's he's got uh, one one or two other kind of bigger Lovecraftian pieces, which are actually pretty decent. I mean, not not all this stuff is quite well, as novels or more short um, stories. Well, uh, Mask Mask of Thulu is is like this one. It's another collection of stories, um, but the other that I'm thinking of is a novel, and and he wrote his own horror stories and things of that nature outside of just Lovecraft pastiches. Um, Durlith, as a matter of fact, is the person that coined the term Cthulhu mythos because uh, Lovecraft used Yog Sothothery is, is the term <laughs> that Lovecraft used. But One of as, rolls off the tongue a little easier. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, as as an author, he once said that how do you put it? I write I write swiftly from seven hundred fifty thousand to a million words a year. Very little of it pulp material <laughs> uh, he wrote he he was a, a dedicated author and outdoorsman he did he did poetry he did uh, western stories and more fictional pieces nature pieces he he did a lot he wrote a lot he read a lot he had over twelve thousand books in his library wow. yeah and so. with a title like this i would have thought this would have been something a little bit more uh, frontiersy, if you will. But, I, yeah, I guess I mean, you. Good. I, I, yeah, I think a lot of what, and, and this is like the, kind of one of the rare misses in our in our experience, you know, as um, kind of delving into the, the the ancillary things of Appendix N. You know, usually the books are very engaging, and sort of you're discovering like a new author that you know, you may not have been, you know, exposed to. This very much is that sort of, this novel, not to say the rest of Daryl's works because I haven't experienced that, is very much a let's clone and uh, an update, but without the same, you know, sort of inventiveness, right? You know, that you get from the original Lovecraft. It's the same setting as, like you said, like the uh, one of the original stories, but set 20 years later in in many ways. And maybe updated a little bit for the modern age because yeah. spoiler, in the end, this is the novel you want to read if you want to see Cthulhu destroyed partially by an atomic bomb. <laughs> so the the updated, you know, modern version of you know, send the destroyers in to, to destroy Devil's Reef, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. I, I think part of it is I mean, first of all, the the five stories that make this up were published over a period ranging like eight years, right? From 1944 to 52. And the whole thing is told in the past tense. I'm sort of of reminded of the movie that that starts with, let me tell you the story about how I almost died. 
because that's really what this, <laughs> what every story is, right? It's like, oh my god, uh, I, I, I almost died. Let me tell you about it, and then I escaped. So yeah, there's there's no real But because of that, there's no there's no real tension. You, know, you already know the author's escaped, and every single story seems to to follow that path. The the only the only different one is really when you get to the last story, it is sort of this assembling the team moment, right? He's, yeah, you've got these four precursors, each one of them dedicated to a different protagonist. You know, very much on the you know the the side of Professor Shrewsbury, who's re, you know recruiting these folks. And the last one actually has this kind of interesting twist of, you know, it, again, it's very much a, a clone of what Lovecraft did, but it's, you know, it, it's from the perspective of somebody who's, uh, you know, kind of an insider with the, uh, you know, the deep ones because of the ancestry. And it ends, you know, with, you know, this sort of, well, I know that Cthulhu is not really dead. And in fact, you know, one of the um, people of the team was recently drowned, you know, so it's really the only time that you feel sort of like, Oh, could this actually end in a way that's not formulaic, right? You know, but it it does really end in a formulaic way. It's just so it's a little I, bit different than the other stories in the in the collection. Knowing that this is um, an homage slash continuation of Lovecraft's works, is it fair to call it derivative without that, that sounding demeaning? I don't. I yeah, and I don't want it to be demeaning because I think it's really he is trying to to do what Lovecraft is doing was just create a pulp entertainment, you know, for people to enjoy and carry forward, you know, this expanding mythos. Right. And I think that's, that's where, you know, it, it's very much like he is not, I think where it becomes derivative in a sense is, is the way that he's positioning it. Like, you know, Bob said, this is something, or that, you know, we said in the intro, this is something where he's very much saying it's me and Lovecraft working together when, no, it's. I mean, it, this is all material to have an after Lovecraft died. It's you know something that he's doing himself, but he's using Lovecraft's name as a way of selling or you know getting a re, re, having a larger audience. I think that's where it gets a little bit you know uh, you know feeling. Well, I, I think it's it's more fair rather to call it derivative to to call it a, a pastiche, right? I mean that that's what it is. He's trying to write in the style of Lovecraft, which is interesting since he includes Lovecraft as a as a character because he talks about Lovecraft being dead but he blames Lovecraft's death on the on the forces of Cthulhu because Lovecraft was too close to revealing the truth um, and it's it's one of those things where I don't know Durlith Durlith made some additions to to the mythology like tying all of the all of the great old ones into elemental forces you know Cthulhu is the god of water and Hastur is the god of fire and that is certainly nothing that Lovecraft ever would have done that really that, that's pure Durlith and it really the way Durlith treats these characters really shows his I think his strong Christian upbringing and that everything has to has to, to make sense if there's a if there's a god and there's and there's horrible you know anti-gods or devils or evil gods you have to be able to understand them a little bit more even if physically they're still you know Mysteries. virtually indescribable um and it i you find that Durlith, it, dang it. <laughs> Durlith kind of diminishes them i think in the way he treats them yeah i was going to ask like is this this is really the first time i've seen that the ancient ones are good versus the 
you know, the elder ones or the great old ones being evil, right? Sort of that was never something that I don't think Lovecraft really, you know, carried in his work. And it sounds like this is, is that something that Derelith? You know, really yeah. Did? So um, there's even at the at the end of the the copy I was we were reading, there was a uh, an essay, a note on the Cthulhu mythos, and one of the things they talk about is. The elder, the elder gods in in Lovecraft's work were they were not good. They were they were you know kind of ambivalent to to humanity, just like the the great old ones. It's just that they stood in opposition. Um, I think the I think the closest that Durlith comes to really portraying anything like that is the the uh, the, the 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 servitors of. Uh, of Hastur, mm. uh, the oh, the um, He talks about the fact that you know they're not good. It's just that they're not aligned with these other forces, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and so it. They can be different shades of gray. They can be straight down. They, they they can all be neutral for the sake of alignment. Yeah. And you know, over over time, it really it by trying to put them in, in this box of good versus evil, it really changes the the cosmic horror nature of of Lovecraft's work, where the horror really comes from not you know the big bad monster so much as what the big bad monster is going to do because it doesn't even notice you exist and it doesn't care. Um, and. Uh, no, I well, reading it, I found that some of the stories actually begin in what felt to me like a Lovecraftian tone or even that of A. Merritt. But ultimately, they just, because of the formulaic repetition that was being followed, I felt it lacked the authenticity of the original works that they're trying to uh, continue. Yeah, I think I think you know if we had read these stories over a period of eight years, we might have liked them more. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Wow! <laughs> well, like, I think it's compounded by the fact that we have actually read and discussed Lovecraft here on the show, right? We have we've had a couple of episodes about it. Yeah, our, our earliest uh, we covered Dagon and the Shadow over, over Innsmouth, which really is is the story you should read as opposed to the Trail of Cthulhu. Um, that was episode nine, of February twelfth, twenty sixteen. So seven years ago. And a few, that was off that years back. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, we also covered the mound uh, for the episode with David Beatty about Weird Frontiers. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh, right. But that was a couple of years ago as well. That well, pandemic times. It all blurs. It was yeah. It was a, that was a number <laughs> of years ago. Yeah, I was I was still. Uh, Brave yeah, face bearded guy like I am now, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so suffice to say that uh, this was this was less than gripping. I think that some of Durlis' descriptive prose was was good. Um, I especially liked in the house in Kerwin Street when they're talking about the thing coming up from the from the the pool as it's kind of bubbling and burbling and. There, there's some really great touches in there, and some some good text just for, uh, for for like a judge to lift for their table. But overall, I don't think it's enough to carry this book. Yeah, the, um, I, the first story is really the one that 
that's the most interesting just because yeah. you're introduced to these new characters and some of the new ideas that are repeated over and over again in the later stories, right? So that's this it's actually probably worth reading just by itself. I'd, I'd say if I'd recommend any of them, it'd be the, the House and Currency because it does have that sort of unknown sense of what's going to happen, you know, in, in this kind of mystery yeah. figure and then this this kind of wild escape and, you know, cover up with the, the death. When that happens four more times, it's just not as engaging. But the, but I, I do think that first story is actually a good tale and, you know, has some interesting ideas. Like, you know, I love that when he's reading an advert for becoming somebody's secretary is essentially uh, you have to, you know, be a good secretary. You have to know boxing and you also have to have a lack of imagination. <laughs> I love that sort of like, that's that's a great sort of like synopsis of, you know, uh, interview for the the Lovecraftian, you know, perfect uh, you know, character. No boxing and jujitsu. Yeah, is that the 1920s version of uh, must not question the orders you're given? <laughs> don't have an imagination. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But there is not, but, you know, kind of in, in contrast to Lovecraft stories, there is not a lot of like, people describe things as like, oh, it's an awful thing I saw and it's it's just terrible, but there's no sense of like that that really affected them, right? They're all just sort of able to shrug it off and, and kind of carry on with their task or like, you know, and that, that was something that was absent from, you know, these tales. These, these people very, very much feel like very paper thin, just, you know, versions of characters or people versus, you know, somebody who's actually, you can feel some depth to their reaction to things, so... Yeah, I mean, I think I was uh, I was more engaged and and slightly disturbed by the descriptions of things people saw than the people in the books who actually saw them were. <laughs> right. um, and, and yeah, I mean, and, and there were though there were there were some really great moments like when uh, when they look across the street from from the Kerwin house and they see the deep ones rising up out of the Miskatonic river across the way, coming towards the house, those dark shapes. That was a really great moment. Mm -hmm. And I, and I don't want to say that this book doesn't have, have some really great moments. I just think as storytelling goes, there's a couple of cool scenes. So. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the, the same story told every couple of, you know, rewritten every couple of years gets gets old when you read them all in order. It's sort of like the John Carter books, really. Uh, yeah. You can read like three or four of them at a go, but if you go for that fifth, you're like, oh, this is the first book again. Oh. Although I, I would love to interview the story, the uh, protagonist therapist. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Some of the... Uh, shall we say recommendations are a little bit sketchy. Yeah. 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 The, the conceit of it, it is kind of very similar across each story, but it's, you know, very much, this is something we, we wrote down some format and somebody decided to release it to the public because events have unfolded that make it of the interest to the public. And the therapist releasing their note is like <laughs> sort of the best example of like, that's, it's a little bit, you know, out there in terms of, you know, driving the, the story narrative, but um, not a great therapist either. Takes, think about it. <laughs> they copy their notes in triplicate too. <laughs> everybody copies. This is a time when, you know, you copy your notes in triplicate 
I love the fact that you know, at one point Shrewsbury is like writing duplicate letters to different parts of the country, just like a good Cthulhu uh, character should. You know, so they should always have a backup plan for their their next uh, character to inherit those notes. Um, but but it is it's it, everybody's has like perfect recall and you know uh, is very well versed in in the literary arts. Of course, different time, you know. But uh, it's, it's there's it's, also some really weird moments that stood out, though. There's the there's the moment at the uh, Miskatonic University Library where he's, you know, in the restricted section, going through this book that nobody has ever looked at. And if you if you read Lovecraft, it's it's not easy to get access to the restricted section to begin with, right? It's right. it's a really big deal. It's locked down because the librarian knows how dangerous this stuff is. And this guy just approaches him, and it's just a guy that works at the bank. Like, but, <laughs> but, but no, you shouldn't be there. That's not. Yeah, it's, it's, I think that's when his uh, Shrewsbury is like, "Oh, and go copy a few lines from the Necronomicon." And he's, "Oh, look, sure, I'll go down the, the street and just copy some lines from the Necronomicon." One of the five copies that exist in the world, and you know, is known to contain all these, you know, potential evils. So. Yes. So, have a conversation over that. <laughs> and we'll, we'll treat it like the new Stephen King novel that, you know, you just take it out to the main section of the library, throw it down on a table and read it for everyone to, to just come by and bug you. But so, yes. I think Darren is doing that specifically because he's got these kind of short format novels and he really wants to get to the action very quickly. All right. And all the characters can accept the truth of the mythos with just the briefest of exposition from other characters. You know, it's, it's sort of the same repetitive you know, story again, but it's like, well, of course the Cthulhu mythos is real because you see all these ancient cultures with all their arts and they all they all tie together. And it's obvious to anybody who studied these things, are, this is just a fraction of the examples. It, yeah, I could go on and on. And then the person's like, yes, that unlocks something inside me that I believe this truly and, and deeply now. And then it's right to the action. I, I think there's some benefit to doing that one time, you know, for yes, for carrying the, the propelling the novel and, and the story forward. It does, like we said, get all over done when it's repeated so often. But, you know, like I said, these are meant to be very pulpy, very short. Um, and, and, and they were, they were, they, they weren't all published together originally. Yeah. Right. So there is, there is that. I, I think reading this over a span of eight years would definitely give you a, a very different opinion. But sitting down and reading them all at once, I really, I, really remember enjoying this book a lot more the last time I read it. <laughs> well, no, it, it, it should be noted that, uh, you know, Shrewsbury is the one with all the mystery surrounding him, right? He's the professor who disappeared for 20 years and all that. Um, I, I just found where he also appeared and Philip O. Marsh wrote a novel, The Worm Shall Ye Fight? which really sounds like the title of a Harley Stroh adventure, maybe. Uh, <laughs> but that was written in 1994. So Shrewsbury returns again. Okay. And, and that I could be convinced to read just to kind of see where it goes. Yeah. I, you know, there's maybe next year. <laughs> there, there's a number of authors that have kind of taken your know, Lovecraft themes. Like uh, Brian Lumley has written a lot of Lovecraftian stuff and, and drew from Durlith more than than Lovecraft and it's 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 stuff of a very different vibe when 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 you hit that split between Durlith and and Lovecraft and and who is kind of copying from from whom um but it's still it could be it could be interesting to uh 
to read a novel with, with Shrewsbury that was written all at once and is meant to be read all at once and thus hopefully doesn't repeat itself right. every five chapters. <laughs> Oh man! But the, you could tell you could tell you know in the days of pulps, people got paid by the word because I'm pretty sure that Durlith repeated the uh, the you know the uh, dead but dreaming couplet in every <laughs> single story. Right? Like, oh well, here's a here's a quick little bit of word uh, count that I don't have to write. I counted right. at least three times in the opening story, the house on Kerman Street. Yeah, um, sounds it's, right. It's every it's every story I think, and it's uh, it. And, he, and of course, the same sort of, it's, you know, the whistle for summoning the Bayaki, the the uh, elder uh, need that's there and the five-pointed star, or this basically lifting the same, you know, set of instructions to every story <laughs> to repeat them uh, for how everybody escapes. Yeah. Just, uh... I mean, we, we could say all sorts of nice and flowery things about this or continue doing so. Um, or we could be honest, I mean, which we have been. Or, or we could talk about some of the things that maybe tie into DCC a little bit more. Perfect. Just, That's just great. a hint. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a plan. It sounds far less depressing. Um, <laughs> right, right off the bat, I think that we've got a, we've got a, a primary character who is hired in part for his lack of imagination. And I almost think that, that would be a cool thing to use for a character with a low personality score. Right. So, you know, mind shattering things are going on around them, but you know, they're just so meh going through life that it doesn't really bother them. <laughs> yeah, they, they just sort of keep going. They don't, they, they lack that imagination. Uh, I, I just thought, you know, for someone who's stuck with something that's a low score, it might be fun every once in a while to have that actually be advantageous. Yeah. Um, there's the the elder sign, the the star stone of of Nar, and uh, and that would be interesting to bring into DCC, where you know, Cthulhu is worshipped as a deity, and there are clerics of of Cthulhu running around. It would be interesting to to see how various things would interact with that or, uh, or perhaps to have someone who is a cleric of the elder gods using that as their, their holy symbol. The, uh, the I Necronomicon, <laughs> one of the five copies, which can shatter people's minds would be, would be fun or uh, the Bayaki, the great bat like birds in service to, uh, to a steward would be fantastic to stat up. Um, now I'm wondering if we haven't done that already in one of our old uh, companion zines. The Bayaki. We have I to go back to those. <laughs> I don't think we did the Bayaki. We we did a lot of like deep one hybrids. I think we even did the the deep one as a as a player character class at one point. Oh yeah, yeah we did. Mm-hmm. Or uh, how about the the golden space mead that that mm-hmm. makes you immune to the effects of, of exposure to time and space as you travel strange dimensions. I'm pretty I sure I had some of that when I was young. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm buying it. What about you, Mark? That, the idea that the personality is actually interesting because it, it kind of reminds me of the similar mechanic in the, the Cthulhu role-playing game where if you when you see something that's sanity inducing, you have to make an intelligence check 
And if you make the check, you sort of realize, you know, the, the full consequences of it, but you fail it, then you're sort of immune to the, you know, the the brunt, you know, you're you're able to like sort of like, you know, slough it off. And having that that sort of like be an interesting way of most of the mechanics I've seen in DCC that result that try to translate that to DCC are you lose personality, right? Every time you see something sanity, mind bending, your personality is temporarily reduced until mm-hmm. you become a gibbering idiot. And I do love that idea of like, yeah, turn that at some point, you know, the character can make a check of some sort to basically ignore those effects because they don't have the imagination to do so. That's it. I, I, I like that. I just wanted to kind of follow back up what you what your um, your stat idea was. I, I yeah, the the Bayaki, you know, the the way they're described in the story, which I don't think I remember them being described in Lovecraft this way. They have human flesh and furred wings. Which I kind of like that description as a way of um, that was I think in the house in Kerwin Street one of the you know when he he's yeah. lying on them he describes them like that and I like that description as sort of like a a way of you know just you know having that creature come a little bit more to life. Um, there's lots of ideas for DCC subclasses if you're depending on the setting, but you know you have like an explosive expert because you have to go and detonate things. Um, I love the fact that at one point. There's uh, one of the characters becomes a master of the Innsmouth look disguise artist, where he <laughs> basically makes the characters up in such a way that it just <laughs> blends in completely. So you know, have this kind of you know using you mean, the disguise the, besides the mustache. Besides the mustache, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, there, you know, the secretary or the amunesis with you know this. We talked about this like with a degree in Greek and Latin and a and a black belt. You know, that being, I, I think there's some things you could fun things you could do just with sort of you know. Existing skills like the thief skill to highlight them, like the sky skill doesn't get enough highlighting based on these stories, or yeah. just carve out some more space for a mighty deed, you know, secretary type, you know, class that's a little bit more Lovecraftian. Um, I even though it's it's not that I'm gonna Lovecraft would come up with, I think there's an interesting idea to the the great old ones as elementals, right? You know, and that's a different way of statting them up than we've seen necessarily. So if you want to create a deity um stat for cthulhu or for hastur or for you know azathoth or any of these these kind of uh, you know you know gigantic beings creating them as an elemental is is kind of a fun way of boxing it in and a different way of boxing it in so i think you could carry that forward into a statting um exercise um and then it kind of pertains also to some of the magic you know in dcc about you know things that use fire use water um and so that might be kind of fun to do there were also just a lot of you know gods or you know god-like things that are mentioned in the novels that are part of this you know umbrella of things that all tie together to cthulhu you know that are they're either real gods or you know maybe historically somewhat inaccurately attributed to cultures by derelict but you know things that like Khan, the Lord of the Earthquake, which is a you know an Inca god, you know which I've also seen another reference to a different god in Amster Khan, um, called Pachacagma um, or Mag, and so that's like kind of one, one example of the Lord of the Earthquake. That's a that's a great sort of start for a you know a a, a patron or a deity, the Devourer, the War God of the Kinqua, uh, or the Polynesian Sea God Hengaria. Um, so these are things that you know I think are great starting points that you could you could sort of take and you know create your own thing out of. But you because it's tied in Daryl's mind to Cthulhu or to some of the other 
um, elder ones, you could have them be related in some way to that. Um, the last thing I, I thought, you know, because they they um, they always escape in these stories to the Great Library of Solano, you could it would be kind of cool to stat that up as a location. You know, what is in that library? What is you know how do you access it? You know, how do you even what are there things that are um, you know guarding the knowledge there? And I think that'd be kind of a fun thing to to do as a location. You know, that the PCs can discover or quest for right for knowledge because that that being in itself like the the you know, place that's greater than any earth library right you know so this would be something oh, that yeah you know perhaps there's a way that they can access that knowledge um if they're trying to get some more information you know to solve you know a particular throny cthulhu mythos related thing um so i think that would be kind of a fun thing to to kind of imagine what that looks like what it's what's out of it and use that as an inspiration point yeah, I think uh, that could be a really neat location to kind of play around with. Yeah, because um, yeah, and because it, it's it, it took Shrewsbury twenty years; he was gone, and he was probably studying that the whole time, but he couldn't quite figure out where Cthulhu is, you know, in all that time. <laughs> but you know, perhaps that was because it was, you know, something difficult about accessing that knowledge, or maybe there's something, you know, they don't have a card catalog. They don't have a card catalog. Yet. Um, Jen, what about you? Um, you know, I was giving a lot of thought to Shrewsbury himself. Um, could he be an NPC or plot hook besides just uh, a foe? Or, you know, maybe he and his compatriots. Yeah. How many people disappeared with him that he's not talking about? I <laughs> I always tend to dig deeper on that one. Um, and wasn't, uh, was Phelan the owner of the library? Uh, the, there were books from Phelan's library that um, the main character was alluding to. And I think that could be a, a lot of fun to put together. And I know that some have already done similar things, but, you know, we could always put our own spin on it. Mm -hmm. um, it occurred to me, particularly in that first story, that no uh, journey or trip <laughs> <clears throat> was ever taken without the elixir or without being handed that quill and book so that he could take notes before the Bayaki were called. <laughs> so what kind of, how would things have gone if he didn't have a way to take the notes? How would things have been remembered and uh, were they crucial components to the summoning spell or or the uh invoking of the patron as it were uh, and of course there there are no no shortage of patrons is no shortage sorry uh whether you want to make those patrons that pcs can call upon or other monsters foes etc um, you raise a really good point with the uh the 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 book and quill and how things would be remembered because uh, Andrew Phelan talks about, you know, all these dreams he's having. He doesn't at first understand that he's actually experiencing these things. So that, that really talks about the dreamlike essence of what's going on and, and how, if you were running something like this for the, for, for players, you could essentially, as the judge, you could be the unreliable narrator. Hmm. 
you know, because they're not sure what is real and what is not. And, and they've got to figure that out on their own. That could be a, a really fun way to kind of help shape what you're running based on what they think is going on versus your initial ideas. What happens when you don't have a scribe in the party, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a short list, but it's it's the stuff that I took away that doesn't completely overlap with you guys because of course the elder sign. Yeah. Um so I guess I could just roll straight into the next one and you know I our next section used to be all about audio and props. And I'm going to bring the props back because they used to be here. Can we please talk about all those triplicate copies that are floating around? <laughs> I mean, that, that's player handouts right there. We we don't even have to look further. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, all jokes aside, um, Bob has had this playlist since before we met. So I will uh, sidestep. <laughs> Real quick, though, because that idea of the unreliable narrator and props. So one of the common things that, you know, people are like I do and or when playing in other people's games is somebody's always the note taker, right? For recording the, the in-between information, you know, for reference in the later sessions. And I love the idea of a, a, a judge just being frustrated with players who don't take notes to writing up the narrative, but writing it incorrectly and sort of seeding these false memories in their their players minds and say i mean that's that's what's written down you know do you guys don't remember this and they start <laughs> so that's what chaosium meant with cthulhu by gaslight got it okay <laughs> oh. i get it now oh. all right no. now, now now the list bob <laughs> actually I, I i remember these games they were they were at our table bob <laughs> All of this stuff would come out from stuff that happened months ago. No, we don't remember any of that. <laughs> any any uh, music thoughts there, Mark? Uh, after, uh, you know, before I hand it off to you and your comprehensive uh, thoughts, the, the one I was going to add that I didn't see in your list, I think I probably mentioned this one before, but um, Carl Sanders is an artist I like to listen to, um, especially his soul. He's got some solo albums, um, Sorry and Meditation. Uh, I think I like three of those under the similar titles. Um, he was the frontsman or founder of the band The Nile, um, which they've got a number of Egyptian-themed death metal slash, um, you know, harder stuff that he, I think, formed his own solo efforts, you know, partially because it was, uh, death metal was a little bit too much um, for him to take all the time. So he created very much like a ambient um, album. Uh, and if you are into sort of like the ambience of um particularly i think things that work well for for cthulhu games then um his his solo works uh the saurian meditations are, are really good so check out carl sanders um you know and he, he'd be the one i'd add to the list that you've uh you've got uh on spotify i'll make sure that gets added to the list as as for jen saying that i have this playlist you know, forever I have to point out that the, the playlist is only as short as it is because most of the stuff I, that immediately leaps to mind, I couldn't find on Spotify. So it, the, oh. the playlist is only like five and a half hours long. Hmm. Oh, honey. Yeah. 
I was kind of disappointed. <laughs> um, I would I would anyway, certainly start. I think any discussion of of Lovecraftian music needs to start with the band Darkest of the Hillside Thickets, who are are fantastic. Their albums, The Great Old Ones and Cthulhu Strikes Back, have songs like One Guild Girl, Color Me Green, Worship Me Like a God. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on their album Spaceship Zero, they have the Innsmouth look, which is which is not just a great song about Innsmouth, but it's incredibly catchy and it's an earworm like you wouldn't believe. Um, <laughs> there's the band Cancer Slug, and on their album Seasons of Sickness, they have a song, The Insmith Look, which is a which is definitely a a, a solid piece of, of solidly dark music. Um, Graham Plowman, who is who has done a lot of music for movies and television as kind of a hobby he does musical soundtracks for uh for for lovecraft stories so he did an album based on the call of cthulhu um he has a song called insmith on his album postcards from the abyss and they're they're wonderful just rich atmospheric music that you can put in the background while you're running a game no problem um there's uh, the band Innsmouth Look, and I would recommend their song Monsters Never Die from the uh, the EP of the same name. Um, there is a Norwegian group. Um, I think they're a, they're a duo or a trio. I think they're a duo. Famlende Fortsok? I'll pretend. Um, and they have an album, One Night I Had a Frightful Dream, which is a solid anything by cryo chamber. They've got albums dedicated to Dagon, Cthulhu, Hastur, Tsathagwa. Um, I think their, their latest is Yig, but all of them are, are really, really solid. Um, the group Zadig has a song called Dagon, which is good. And then if you want to look at some soundtracks, John Carpenter and Alan Howarth's soundtrack for Prince of Darkness. Again, really nice, atmospheric. And I mean, you can't go wrong with John Carpenter's music, whether it's it, it's like that or The Fog or, or any of his, his soundtracks. Other than Halloween, they're not really immediately recognizable as, as their source. And I listen to a lot of them. Just a lot of them aren't on Spotify. Um, you could also, to kind of take something in a non-Lovecraftian vein. Um, there is the song Sacrifice Hail to the King from the soundtrack to the 1979 King Kong. And it, it kind of captures that, that ceremonial feel that comes up several times in the story. And although the Islanders are chanting Kong, it's so kind of muffled that it's very easy to hear it as yeah, yeah, as was a Kong. Kong. <laughs> um, and, and really, if you're if you're interested at all in in Lovecraft and music, I would recommend the book "The Strange Sound of Cthulhu: Music Inspired by the Writings of H.P. Lovecraft" by Gary Hill. It is a it's a fantastic book. I have a copy on my desk <laughs> and uh, I mean, it, it goes into, I mean, punk, new wave, any, any type of music you could imagine, uh, all of which has been, you know, 
all of which Lovecraft has has left his mark on. So. And I'm guessing that the reason you don't have a lot of like the HPL uh, HP Lovecraft Historical Society pieces, like the Call of Cthulhu soundtrack, you know, the movie that our friend was in. Um, the, the first, the we, first we, of two. She was also in uh, Whisper in the Darkness, not on Spotify. Yep, not I, on I, Spotify. I, yeah, I, I have, I, I've got the soundtrack here. It's just not on. I Spotify. I know. <laughs> and, I, and I imagine that Shuggeth on the Roof is not on Spotify either. That oh, I didn't even think. I, I actually didn't think to look for Shuggeth on the Roof. Uh, I love that. And I, I, I'm so glad I have a digital copy of it, um, even though it's yes. probably many, many, yes. many ways illegal. <laughs> I, I, I've got the, we've got the CD here and actually uh, a while back hunted down uh, one of the DVDs of the documentary about the Shuggeth <laughs> on the Roof. Which has Chris Sarandon in it, and you can't go wrong with Chris Sarandon and the Lovecraft Project. You want Lovecraft reference? You got it. If you Somewhere. want Lovecraft uh, references, I'm I'm your guy. Yeah. <laughs> Granted, you know we're still living out of boxes, but hey. So so we'll thinking thinking of uh, transitioning from music dark and squalness, let's go to uh, Keeper Mark's word of the day. Uh, this time I, I added a, a list that you can include in the show notes. Um, I won't go over all these and for. Keeper Jen's sake, I did include the OED frequency band <laughs> that each of the words comes up. So happy. I'm always happy when there's like a, a three in there, you know, that's that's a very mm-hmm. uh, unused word. Some of the highlights, um, obviously, Bractician or Bractician, you know, Bractician. Brachy- yeah, so that's very much a word that's used and repeated a lot in the stories, but it's a fun one because it, it's often, you know, great to. Uh, to use in the Lovecraft setting. It's the, um, you know, frogs and toad look of many of the characters in, that are encountered in the novels. Um, there is a great um, alternate spelling of, you know, of some words like fitor, uh, F-O-E-T-O-R, which is, you know, an offensive smell or stench. Uh, I love the way it's spelled in, in this uh, in this setting. Um Prognathius having a projecting or forwarded pointing jaws. That's another kind of these insmith look uh, words that's used by Derelith, and oh. I like that one as well. Having the a best one though, angle of less than ninety degrees. <laughs> wow, that's uh, that's yeah. exact. <laughs> having a nathic index, index of hundred and three <laughs> or more. Wow, I don't even know. Could nathic index be? Part of your word of the day, Mark. Nathic <laughs> 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 index. Um, oh, love it. Uh, the one that I like the best, though, out of and in you know, there's several of these that are, that are really you know kind of fun, but it's perfervid, 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 which is just a way of saying very fervid, ardent, or impassioned. But I, I love seeing that word and trying to to say it rolling off the tongue. Perfervid. Um, and so that was uh, the one that I want to highlight as the word of the show or the day. And the other ones are there for everybody's general amusement and education. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll even put a note in our show notes so that Bob remembers to link these. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, I Yeah. So this, this one actually was a little bit more fun to, to kind of go through and see some of the words. Um he Derelith certainly takes a little bit more of the Lovecraftian merit approach, you know, to 
to and Clark Ashton Smith, you know, to using uh, words and in, in a and uh, in, 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 in enhancing this this story, but he repeats them quite a lot. So you know, you'll come across some of these um, in multiple time places throughout the uh, the Trail of Cthulhu. So. Um, well, which will take us to our next section, which is existing DCC inspirations and reskins. And I think there's a lot here that's rich for the DCC, um, you know, area, uh, uh, just because a lot's been done by different authors. Jen, I think you've got a few to highlight. Um, I think there are a handful that are gimmies, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, think can, I think we can agree that Weird Frontiers is duh. Yeah. <laughs> The, the, the illithid on the cover should say it all, right? Um, a little bit, going a little bit off the Cthulian path for a moment, there's a discordance with the Dizbots uh, by Ives Larochelle, uh, distributed by Purple Pirate Games. But some of you, uh, some of our long-term listeners may rec- recall this author from crawl zine number four i just did that um, adventure wow. as well this Deep is kind cut. of a follow-up uh the idea is to destroy the components and the ritual before the evil power can be brought into our plane very much like what we're dealing with here and includes travel to the depths of the abyss through otherworldly means so it really resonated especially with the house on Kerwin Street. Uh, getting back into the more obvious slant, uh, we have the Arwitch Grinder from Crawlzine number nine mm. uh, by Daniel Bishop. And the Kerwin family are are the stars of the show. So the house on Kerwin Street, uh, that that's it's not a coincidence to me. Um, and finally, uh, Crawl Thulu. They only had one or two issues, and it's a zine that I really, really wish would come back. I know it was Todd McGowan, and I'm I feel horrible. I forget his uh, cohort's name, but it was Discerning Dole Productions, D H O L E. And it included the zero-level character generation for either 1920s or 40s. Um, I believe it was like mid-20s because it was all about World War One. So I, I could be wrong in there. Uh, but it also included a starting adventure, which even years later, having having run the Arwitch Grinder and played the one from Crawl Thulu, they kind of merge in my mind because <laughs> they're they're just of the same cloth, if not the same storytelling. Uh, so that that would be my quick and dirty list on this one. That's great. I, uh, I hadn't heard of the the discordance of it's bats. I'm gonna go check that out. Yeah, it's um, it, it's it's rumored that. Spellburn hosts are on the cover. <laughs> it's kind of a, a dirty little rumor. Uh, thanks, Mr. Pogue. <laughs> oh, and the, you, Mark. the Crawl Thulu author, by the way, is John Potts. Todd McGowan Potts, did the, yes. the art. Uh, John, John is the one that ran the uh, adventure for uh, Gary Kahn one year. Very and cool. 
it was it was great fun and like i said i miss it so bring it back <laughs> all right mark hit us i just as a you know like like you said there's some some gimmies but i'll point out for anybody who hasn't uh, read through the cleric class that cthulhu is one of the deities that's listed as um a neutral entity a neutral uh, uh god for clerics and there are many times that people have uh, played in my games uh clerics of cthulhu to much amusement and um and 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 fun times it's just it's it's always kind of a fun thing to, to highlight you know just that there the pantheon of dcc is um uh, you know has a lot of uh, a lot of uh different inspirations and cthulhu obviously being one of the main ones um Another Daniel Bishop one, this will probably be a repeating theme, but um, his fairy tale series um, culminates, at least so far. I know that there's possibly more <laughs> in, the, in the works at some someday, but um, fairy tale 2, The Portsmouth Mermaid, and 2.5, The Three Knights in Portsmouth, are all a uh, a nice extension of the, the fairy tale series, which has Prince Charming Reanimator, Reanimator Creeping Beauties of the Woods, and this takes place with you know, in a an insmith like setting, right, where there is um, uh, mysterious uh, cults activity and uh, and encounters with, you know, the the inhabitants, um, and of course the the mermaid, uh, the titular mermaid herself, um, very worth playing and uh, reading through as a judge and introducing your players to. Um, I want to say, and I don't. I can't remember if I, I play tested this one, but I can't remember if it was part of this series or not, but I know Michael Curtis had an unpublished Cthulhu theme module, which I want to say maybe it was part of the Phantasmagoria series that he was working on. Possibly, maybe it was a different one, but I remember the the setting was you had to, um, you know, essentially help out a, um, a Temple of Cthulhu uh, at the beginning of that, and I can't remember which which module that was. I hope that someday that, that he, it does get that one published. It was a lot of fun to play test. This is some some years ago um, at one of the North Texas RPG cons. And lastly, I was going to highlight the Cthulhu Alphabet uh, by Michael Curtis and John Hook. Um, it's a great resource for bringing in Cthulhu material to your DCC games. It's uh, very much in the Dungeon Alphabet vein of you know random tables for um, various letters that are highlighting the Cthulhu mythos. Um, a, quite a fun resource and something that you could easily bring into, you know, provide, you know, uh, a reskin of, of many existing novels just with Cthulhu elements um, using that, just uh, those tables alone. Oh, yeah. Th those are fantastic. Um, don't leave out your shirt. I mean, we oh, keep yeah. talking about Dagon. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the, the Dagon. Um, uh, Enter the Dagon. Is from Enter the Dagon or inspired by uh, Enter the Dagon, which was a Harley Stroh adventure, a level six one that originally was a, a tournament uh, that he ran at Gen Con. And um, um, the fact that it's a six level adventure is, is kind of a fun thing by itself, but it's also just a, a fun structure. There's a lot of um, cool NPCs and, you know, um, meddlesome wizardry going on and new rules for spell um counterattacks and and uh, uh and adjudicating that which streamlines the ones in the the main book quite a bit and actually are the rules we use for the dcc tournaments at gen con we um you know when we do uh spell 
counterattacks and and uh and adjudicating that we actually use the the rules that are that harley came up with for enter the dagon so um, i swear to god i'm the only person that likes the original spell duel rules <laughs> <laughs> it's just if i determine we need something a little bit more streamlined <laughs> and, and enter the yeah, Dagon made did. that very uh very adaptable so and to be um, fair the the rules in enter the dagon are optional yes so. yeah yeah they're just in their appendix that I think he, he came up with them to streamline his own tournament, and we decided that, you know, it was uh, something we wouldn't care for. It is uh, kind of our standard abridging of some of the DCC rules to make it a little easier for uh, us to get through the, the tournament setting. So Makes sense. Yeah. Bob, what about you? Well, uh, I think all of us have been given nightmares by Daniel J. Bishop, and all of us <laughs> have different adventures <laughs> we're thinking of. Uh, so I think that's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel Bishop stuff, by the way, I mean, he draws so heavily on an appendix end to begin with, and and Lovecraft mm-hmm. is, is certainly a major inspiration in a lot of his work. Uh, for me, though, Silent Nightfall, uh, an adventure that, that still gives me the willies with those <laughs> owl men things. Um, Sorry? <laughs> Silent, Silent Nightfall, in a lot of ways, could you could reskin part the the surface portion of it as Innsmouth without yeah. any issue oh, yeah. and and with other changes the, the entire thing could could involve you know, deep ones and and, and you know, father dagon and and the cult the um, creepy poem at the beginning would not lose any fa- value in that <laughs> <laughs> exactly it is it is a great adventure and for for an adventure that is not specifically billed as a horror adventure, um, it 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 really did. It it creeped the hell out of me when we played it, and uh, looking back, I it just yeah. Um, of course, you can't think of Innsmouth. I don't think without Attack of the Frogs by by Stephen Newton. Uh, again, another very easy sort of Innsmouth reskin, right? I mean, it's. You know, as as opposed to to a brewery, you've got kind of a fishing village, and you don't need you know giant beavers. You could use other things, and as opposed <laughs> to the Beaver Dam, it's Devil's Reef. Uh, very very easy to uh, to overlay there. One quick um, note for any newer listeners: Attack of the Frogs was one of the very first third party yeah. products for DCC. Yeah, so, I think it was yeah. it was the second only by like a hair's breadth, wasn't it? By like a day, yeah. Yeah, something something, <laughs> something that's worth mentioning just sure. because it needles Stephen Newton a little bit. <laughs> so mean. He hey, he made sure that he was the first for MCC. Um, yes. And and speaking of things played at GaryCon, my all time favorite. Purple Planet Adventure was Photogon on the Purple Planet by Scott McKinley. Hmm. And it's it, it's not in print, so you just need to bug him to to run it at more <laughs> conventions. He's going to be at Game Hall. He's going to be at GaryCon. Bug him to run this more. Yeah. Um, it is a fantastic planet crawl where you are facing off, the, the party is facing off against a former companion, their cleric, who was a cleric of Cthulhu, who is now bent on domination of the Purple Planet. It mm. is it is broad in scope. It is grand storytelling in, I would say, almost a, an almost like an Edgar Rice Burroughs tradition. So it really, wow. really rings solid for the Purple Planet. 
Um, I, well, I think it's, it's a shame that you can't buy it yet. Fingers crossed that we'll see it as maybe part of the expansion for the Purple Planet stuff that's coming oh, out. Oh, yeah. Not. That's right. oh, it, it, uh, is, we, it is not have, among... We don't the, know every title yet. It is not among those offerings. Um, which, which is a shame, but if enough people, if enough people can can uh, can bug him to run it more, maybe uh, maybe someone will pick it up and publish it because it is it is phenomenal. I, I played it at GaryCon twenty twenty two. There were four of us at the table. Two had never played DCC before, and we all had a grand time. The story is is gripping. It takes advantage of of that vast purple planet map. So it is it is truly a, a kind of an open hex crawl as to where you're going to go and when and how things develop. It is awesome. it, it is probably one of the best con games of DCC I've ever played. So it is, I I cannot recommend it uh, strongly enough. It is, it is that solid. And then. Yeah, it sounds fantastic. It it is, it is. And then I got to thinking when, uh, Mark, when you were talking about using the library of Solano as a location, didn't Julian just do an adventure? Wasn't that set in a library? Temple. Oh no, the oh, library. I don't maybe, know if that one. Maybe it yet. was maybe it was a temple location, but but you could easily use use something like that as part of a library. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't remember the the title of the adventure offhand. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, not I'm not sure that it's been published yet. Is I thought it was. I thought it was like one of the DCC Day adventures. It was in an adventure pack. I thought. Uh, temple siege. In a temple. <laughs> okay. Well, that makes sense. See, if I'd remembered the title, I would have known it wasn't in a library. So but that's I, what I. Cool. Yeah. Um, all excellent choices. I yeah, I'm excited to to see if I can bug Scott McKinley to to run that again. Um, so. Oh yeah. Um, well, I think that brings us to our DCC feature for the show. Um, one of the authors we've mentioned. Uh, has also a pretty much a, a preeminent uh, choice for this uh, particular theme. The DCC 2017 Halloween Adventure, Shadow Under Devil's Reef by John Hook. And it's part of the, I think, rebranded, maybe if you get it now, is the horror line. Um, they used to be you know, called the Halloween Adventures, but I think they're publishing now new adventures under the horror line. And mm-hmm. it's sort of been the second or third of those published, um, certainly from the Halloween standpoint. Um, first, I think. Was it? Okay. 2017. First, because mm-hmm. then it was uh, Sinister Sutures of the Sempstress. Ah, okay. Yeah, Sinister Sutures came out. And Red may have been in between there. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm trying to think. Yeah. But but yeah, it's it's one of the very early ones. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's it's excellent adventure by John Hook. And um Bob, do you want to tell us about it? A raging storm has made the waters around Devil's Reef impossible to navigate safely. The noble galleon, the Royal Dawn, has run aground, and prisoner's Keiko from faraway Fulamia is now missing. Untold riches and glory await those who successfully find the princess and safely deliver her to Black Sand. As the greedy and ambitious adventurers set out to find the princess, their thoughts linger on the few Royal Dawn survivors that washed up on the beach 
with bodies that were corrupted by strange frog-like mutations. What kind of evil awaits the adventurers on that forbidden island? Hmm. Uh, very much a story it, inspired by the Lovecraftian uh, stories directly. So, <laughs> Yes, definitely. Well, um, Mark, you are correct. It is the third of the Halloween modules. Okay, yeah. So it's it's an early yeah. one, but, not, but Sinister Sutures came before. And what was the other one that came before? Um, they served Brandolin Red. Right. By Stephen Newton. All right. <laughs> well, and it, it's worth noting that, that John Hook writing this adventure makes perfect sense. He was, you know, integral to the Age of Cthulhu line from uh, Goodman Games. While, while while that was up and running, he he still writes you know call it Cthulhu adventures. This is a, this sort of dark storytelling is his bread and butter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's fun. It's a very much you get to introduce characters to, and it's a first level adventure if I remember correctly. And again, one of these kind of DCC adventures that you encounter things that your first level characters in other systems wouldn't necessarily um, get close to. In this case, you know, a, a a great one of the great entities that serves Cthulhu and that's causing um, some weird, strange mutations um, uh, in the surrounding area of this um, of this village that they're shipwrecked on. Um, and one of the fun things that is actually, you know, just independence is is kind of a a mutation table that you can use as an alternative to some of the the corruption tables you know there's a mm-hmm. uh, in the in the adventure there's a an attribute slash characteristics that's very much deep one inspired and it can be something that you could use in other settings as well um you know if you want to have a more horror cthulhu themed you know thing that happens when your spellcasting goes awry or if you're encountering you know uh flagistan, you know corruption that sort of thing so and I have to say, um, there's a great deal of effort put into, you know, the background and those NPCs. And halfway through, it just boils down to nope. I we don't care about the princess anymore. Uh, we just need to survive. <laughs> that's that's pretty much my memory when, of it. I I, I uh, played it. Uh, I think Bob ran it for us. And it, no, <laughs> just, just no. Uh, then again, I, I have to say, I've played a couple of games that John Huck has run for us. Um, uh, one was Cthulhu, actually, uh, but another was a horror based uh, DCC adventure. And uh, he is brilliant and terrifying. And and he's just such a nice guy, so you don't expect any of this blah coming out of him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, Bob can be creepy and sinister, but you can kind of get that by, you know, if you spend any time with him, you know he can have this, this dark side to him. John, I, you just wonder where it comes from, so I'm going to call it dark magic. <laughs> John Hook is the kind of guy that that walks up to you and says, "Do you read Sutter Kane?" Um, and, and some people will get the reference. And uh, yeah, it, this this is a, a a solid. First of all, it's a solid adventure, right? It's it, it's well written. It's it's fun. 
but it really succeeds as a Halloween adventure. It is creepy. It gets progressively darker until you hit that point where it's nope. And oh my God, are we going to survive kicks in and that it, it ceases to be a quest for your know, gold and glory and becomes a, we'll change our pants when we get home. Let's just get, try and get out of here alive sort of adventure. Um, much like the uh, Sinister Sutures of the Sempstress. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that makes it so successful is it goes from the standard kind of adventure quest to just a challenge for, for survival. And not in that sort of, oh, they're throwing a lot of stuff at us that's way too hard for us and they're just going to squish us. I, I don't want to imply that that the adventure is is heavy-handed in any way, shape, or form like that, but it is just this growing atmospheric tension hits a fever pitch, and you as a player have that come-to-Cthulhu moment where you're like, oh, we're going to die. We need we need to do something different. We're, this is going to end very badly. Oh, look, the, the judge has pulled out a, ch- a chipper shredder for our character sheets. We really need to think about this. Princess. Here, take her. Can yeah. we go? Yeah, we don't really care about the princess anymore. You can just you know take her. Um, we're just gonna do we, do we leave offerings in, in gold here, or or is there a temple <laughs> we should be at? You just let us know. Really, you know, for all the times that the clerics have had disapproval and it's you know must find a new follower for um, the the clerics, you know, the, the the dark priests under under the reef, they've got that down pat now because midway through you're ready to convert just so you can survive. It is <laughs> fantastic. I, I I will say for anybody that isn't in a real Cthuloid mood, that Cthuloid's not really the uh, appropriate adjective there. Sorry, Young Sapatian mood. I think it's yeah. If you're not in a real huge mood for the mythos, you could at least take the um, the adventure part on the wrecked ship mm-hmm. and and play with that, and maybe that uh, maybe that ties into something with say creep scrag creep. Uh, oh yeah, which is actually horror number one. Yeah, it's number one in the horror line. Um, mm-hmm. Sorry, skews are what I do. Uh, <laughs> skewed? Yes, yes, you are skewed. Uh, I, just, I, I love that there's a horror line, you know, in mm-hmm. the games and that you know, it's you know, obviously the, the Halloween adventure is a part of that and Precursor, but the it it's fun to have that as a alternative and mostly like one shot, you know, for this time of year or whenever you're feeling like in the mood for something a little bit more, you know, creepy and um thematic um this is a great yes. adventure for blending cthulhu with those um elements um you know and but everything in the horror line is actually just a, a really kind of fun to do as uh most as a one shot but i i also can imagine you could probably tie them together if you really want to run a horror themed campaign yeah. and well, like, there's there's ways you could you could you know position it such that you could have a, maybe an adventure path through all of them and sadly, I don't think there's a Halloween adventure this year, just because the logjam for DCC 100 <laughs> broke, right? And so, yeah, <laughs> uh, the, 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 uh, 
the publishing schedule got uh, got upended a little bit. So I, I don't think there's a Halloween adventure this year. But maybe it's just because mine is a tough act to follow from last year. I'm going to go with that. That's that's my story. <laughs> Smooth. But, yeah. uh, but no, this is... <sighs> This is such a great adventure, and really, just the from the from the cover art in it is it is pure Lovecraft. And if you're looking for something solid for the Halloween season, Lovecraft, <laughs> it's it's great. Um, and from our Twitch chat, uh, we have some references being made to. Uh, doing a funnel where it's all cultists, then at the end, whoever survives is actually turned into a cleric of Cthulhu. Then you just take the character sheet away, and it's an NPC now. I, <laughs> I think you could do. You, you could go one step further. You run a funnel where, where they're all cultists trying to uh, to raise Cthulhu, and if they succeed, you take the characters away because the campaign world is done, and uh, <laughs> you, just, you start fresh. <laughs> Uh, well, it, it brought to mind People of the Pit, uh, but I would recommend Commando uh, Solo 193. Uh, I put the Hollow Men from the core book in the bestiary there. I used those in place of the cultist stats. In yeah, how many fingers am I holding up, Jan? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll put them on camera so you can guess. I remember those. Oh, my God. That was... That, that, was, oh. that was both creepy and, oh, me, look, we've killed them. Really, oh, wait, no, they're not quite dead yet. You are really making me miss running games, especially the creepier ones. <clears throat> so, um, maybe maybe that, that's my uh, New Year's resolution. Uh, and I, <laughs> I, I will mention, since uh, since Commando Solo 193 mentioned running as, as a cultist, back in the day when uh, Chaosium was doing monographs, I did a, uh, mm, pretty sure yes. it was a, I, I think I'm, I'm trying, I did, I did two adventures for that. I think it was for Halloween Horror Returns. I did a adventure where you're playing the cultists. Mm -hmm. And so your foes are the investigators who are trying to stop you. And, uh, and that it was, that was kind so of fun. Well. It actually opens, it, it opens with the, uh, the last of the investigators who tried to stop you the night before, um, escaping from the basement where you killed all of his friends, so uh, you can you can definitely you can definitely do some great reversal on things like that. I I have a soft spot for running cultists. Uh, we, we'll go ahead and include a link to the uh, Halloween modules and everything too when we yeah. get to the. Uh, just, just like sailors, you could do reverse sailors. You could do reverse people on the uh, people of the pit. I think that would be the. Oh yeah. The way you can run that so perfect <laughs> everyone gets a tentacle that's right all <laughs> <laughs> right well yeah check out uh, john's adventure and all the other horror ones especially you know the uh, bob you had the latest iteration of that it's a lot of fun as well yeah um that means that it's time for the outro. So uh, I know that relocating the Sanctum Secorum um, and looking through all the boxes has caused some delay in our other ongoing projects. So many boxes. They so shall many be boxes. Shortly, be assured. In the meantime, if you're enjoying the show, please comment on the podcast or help us by posting a review on iTunes and now YouTube um, or drive through RPG for you zine fans. 
Those ratings and reviews help us find new listeners and find new have those listeners find the podcast and the community. Next month, we plunge into At the Earth's Core by Edgar Rice Burroughs, which um, is promising to be maybe a more exciting um, dive into Appendix N. We'll see. Um, I haven't read that one yet, so I'm excited to uh, to read it. Um, There's a lot of things generally exciting. <laughs> um, Keeper Bob, Keeper Jen, any last thoughts? Uh, we will... St- okay, some of us will see you at Game Hole, which is next week, depending on when this actually airs on the podcast side. Uh, we will hit YouTube very shortly, whenever our Twitch mistress allows it. And look for Legends of Uganda to be available in print soon on the website. On the Goodman Games website, that is. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Yes. Uh, you know, Halloween is a great time of year. Run something dark and spooky for your players. We we don't get it. We don't get enough opportunities to just pretend that we like dark and spooky things. Uh, for actually, we don't get enough chances to just revel in dark and spooky things without having to pretend <laughs> we're doing it for the Halloween season, uh, especially as we get older and you know gray hair like mine looks really bad if you just dye it black like a goth so embrace the darkness embrace the spooky enjoy the season and uh, creep your players out as a treat and be inspired very nice yes thank you (laughs) well there you have it we hope we've inspired you thank you all for listening You have been listening to the Sanctum Secorum Podcast. The Sanctum Socorum Podcast has been a production of Sanctum Media.